Before I launch into it, I want to pray. Specifically, I felt inspired. A pastor friend of mine from another church sent me a text this morning. He said, expect great things from the Holy Spirit this morning. And, um, and then he just tacked on. And I don't know when I'm writing this, but he said, bless your children's workers. Bless your children's workers. So I thought, that's a great idea. So we're going to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit, not only on us in here, but in those that are serving with our children right now and doing a great job. So let's pray. God, we thank you that you're present here. Jesus said that you, Father, were always working. You're always doing something. I just thank you, God, that you can be there with our kids and here with us and in every place where the name of Jesus is lifted up. So we do ask, in Jesus' name, I ask that you bring the power of the Holy Spirit to our children's workers this morning. Everyone who serves with those kids that you've given to us and we love so much, we pray you bless them with encouragement this morning. We pray that you honor their sacrifice. We ask that you would um, give them wisdom, that they would be able to release wisdom to those kids. And uh, I pray, too, that they would be learners back there and be able to learn from the childlike faith that exists in those rooms back there. We pray for all of those kids and pray for your blessing on them. God, thank you that you are creating here an intergenerational family of Jesus followers. We just long to be a part of what you're doing. So Holy Spirit, um, lead us and guide us as we talk about uh, this topic of sex and sexuality. I ask, Lord, that you'd preserve truth, that you would penetrate hearts with truth that brings freedom. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, I've got a little extra time this morning, and I just want to let you know I'm going to use it. So, you know, I'm going to try to go slowly. I'm not going to kind of cram everything in. I did tell Mike I had a 90-minute message. But I'm sure that's just my message. I think the Lord's is probably about 43. So I'm just letting you know, you know, get, get yourself relaxed. Go get some coffee if you need it. I got 11 questions last week on sex and sexuality. Thank you to those of you who sent questions. They were courageous questions. And what I want to do is I want to start answering those questions. Now, after I answer the questions, I have seven points. Okay? I'm just letting you know right up front what you can expect. So I'm going to go through the questions relatively quickly. That just means I'm not going to say a lot of words. I'm not going to try to speak real fast. But what I have is a four-page document that I will be happy to put in your hands or email to you with some more details on the questions that I'm going to address this morning. So we'll take 10 or 12 minutes and address these questions, but I've got some more detail if you want more. So you can send me an email. Uh, my info's in the bulletin, or I will ask Nikki Rankin, and someone help me remember to do this, I will ask Nikki to post this document on the website. It'll be right there when you go to Messages at the Vineyard. There'll be a little uh, PDF, and you'll get to see all that document. We'll get, have that on by tonight. Uh, here's the first question I got last week, just to let you know um, where we are and what we're dealing with. Uh, a man wrote this, I was molested as a boy. The man was married, he thinks, when it happened. Does God forgive this man and should I? This is the world that we live in. And let me just go ahead and read what I, what I wrote back to him. I wrote some personal things about the tragedy that he was sinned against. But to answer the question about forgiveness, the basis of God's forgiveness is the same for every person, no matter the sin. 
no matter the sin, the scripture is clear. Every single person has fallen short of God's glory. We've all sinned. Every single person who ever breathed a breath is at enmity with God because of sin. And no matter the sin, the remedy for sin is the same for every single person. It's the cross. It's the blood of Jesus. And so if this person confesses their sin to God and trusts in God that the death of Jesus covers their sin as horrible, as heinous as it is, that person is forgiven. That's the extent of redemption available in Christ. If not, the Bible's clear, they're responsible eternally for the consequences of that sin before God. That being said, whether or not this man has repented and believed, finding forgiveness from God for those who have sinned against you is the way to freedom for the believer. Holding unforgiveness about people who have sinned against us when we deserved it not is, is simply a trap of the enemy to keep us in bondage to the sin and the consequences of that sin. And when we hold unforgiveness, it is as if we say to that person, hurt me over and over and over again. When we hold unforgiveness, when we say there's a debt you owe me, as much as we feel the truth of that, when we hold it, we become bound to that sin. And so the the biblical, scriptural, Jesus said that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, the truth is the effects of that sin against you can be eradicated, can be redeemed, can be dealt with. And so when we release someone to God's judgment and, and stop holding it against them, we release God to do what God wants to do and we no longer have to walk in the pain of that sin against us. Is that easy? No. Is it possible? Absolutely. I've done it. I've seen it hundreds of times. And we can walk in freedom from the extent of that. A couple of scriptures I have on the handout that I handed out. I just kind of put bullets there. Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, Matthew 6 are those injunctions of the New Testament to forgive. We can forgive with the power that God gives us and we can live in freedom from the personal consequences of sin against us. It doesn't mean it will be as if it never happened. I don't want to tell you that. But there is so much redemption and so much freedom for those who have been sexually abused or abused in any other way. And I'll tell you, the people sitting in this congregation now and in two hours are testimony to that in and of just ourselves, let alone what I know throughout the world. Jesus can do anything. So yes, you can forgive, and you can be forgiven, they can be forgiven, and God can set you free. Another question I had. Matthew 5, Jesus says, to look in lust upon a woman is sin. James, in James 1.14, says that we sin when we're carried away by lust. No, he says when we're carried away by lust, that's temptation. So the question is this. Jesus says, Lust is just a temptation, or Jesus says lust is sin, and James says lust is just a temptation. Which is it? What's the deal? And it's a great question. It means that someone's been thinking about, how can I live a pure life? So I did a little study, and let me just uh, read you what I came up with. I think that the difference is between the want and the will. The difference here when it comes to sin is between the want and the will. To want to sin 
is temptation. It's not sin. Jesus was tempted. That means he wanted to do something against God's will, but he was without sin. So temptation is not sin. To will to sin, to intend to do it, or to do it, physically or in your mind, is clearly against the commandments of God. You want to commit adultery. Don't foster that, but that desire is not sin. You intend to commit adultery, you've sinned. You want to be with a person who's not your husband or wife, it's not sin. You imagine being with them. You work it out in your mind. You've sinned, you've crossed a line, according to Jesus and James. The desire is temptation. The action, whether real or imagined, is sin. Now, you know, we can write books in this gap right here. How do you stop at desire and not go into sin? I'm going to talk about that in my seven points. So wait for that. Here's the reality. You can't give it any time at all. There's no time for consideration. The Holy Spirit gives us power to build thought patterns and to uh, work with our empowered wills with the Holy Spirit to make choices in a much more immediate fashion. The longer you consider sin, the closer you are to it, right? And, and let's just be honest, we all know the line. I mean, it's, I, there are probably few people who say, I did that thing. Hmm, I wonder if that was sin. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit's present, and he lets you know pretty quickly. He's real good at that. You're tempted, it's not sin. You carried out in your mind or body, it's sin. I had a question about what's okay in the sexual relationship. Okay, we start to get into a little bit more uncomfortable areas for Randy, but that's all right. <clears throat> good to be stretched. What's okay in the sexual relationship? The question I got was about oral sex. So here's what I said. The only teaching we have related to what can be done in marriage, in the marriage bed, that I know of, is Hebrews 13.4. And I've quoted it the last two weeks. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. Let the marriage bed be held in honor. So here's our instruction from the Lord who gave us bodies and created holy desire. He says, as long as you are honored, it's legal. There it is. That's as much as I got. As long as the two people are honored, God gives you freedom to explore sexuality. God gave it to us as a gift. I heard Rich Nathan. Rich Nathan is the pastor of the largest vineyard church in the country. Pretty influential guy, real straight shooter. He was talking to vineyard pastors, about 3,000 of us. And he made this comment. I still can't believe he said it, and I can't believe I'm about to say it. <laughs> said in front of 3,000 vineyard pastors, he said, sometimes after my wife and I are together, I look to her and I say, was that sex? Like, I think it was. Here, well, there's a lot of like, what? <laughs> I, I think what he's saying is there's creativity. God, God's given us the gift of sexuality. He didn't do it to constrain us. He gave it, he gave it to us to give freedom. The key here is honor. The key is love. The key is mutual edification, not domination, not anything that would degrade or debase. Got it? Hebrews 13.4, honor, undefiled. And they only get harder. <clears throat> How do you speak to a teenager about masturbation? Anyone want to take that one? Anybody? Anybody? No? Okay. 
I'm not saying this is easy, but I spoke to my sons about it. I think we need to speak to our children about it. It is a physical, natural, human, it's a part of growing up in the maturation process that kids, we were all there, will explore. We're, we're interested. How does it work? Every child wants to know. If we didn't have that desire to explore, we would never create children, Right? So don't say that desire to explore is sinful. Don't shame your children. But what I would say is get ahead of the game. Talk to your children. Let your children know what's coming down the road before their bodies start throwing hints at them. When I talked to my sons about this, they, they looked at me like, you're a weirdo. And you know what I realized when they, when they gave me that look? Good, I got it in time. And then when all of a sudden their bodies started changing, you know, all of a sudden there was that talk like, oh, now I understand. So what I'm saying is let's be honest with our children. Let's tell them what's going on. <clears throat> we can teach our children to be unafraid to talk to us about sex. We can teach them to do that. We can teach them to learn how to let their spirits guide their souls and their bodies. Remember last week we talked about alignment? So that body doesn't drive every decision and soul, mind, will, and emotion doesn't drive every decision. But spirit, even the spirit of a child, yes. There's no junior Holy Spirit. It's the same spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead that can give that 12, 13, 14-year-old the power to make a choice over mind, will, and emotion and tell their bodies what to do. And we will raise a generation that's markedly different than the generation I grew up in. And we need that generation, right? We need you guys. Okay. Tell your kids what's true. Think about it this way. What do you wish your parents had told you? What do you wish your parents had told you and when? Now, don't react out of terrible fear here, but just think through it. What do you wish your parents had said? And then this is what popped into my, my head is, or are you glad that you just walked through puberty all alone feeling dirty and ashamed? Because I am not glad that I walked through puberty all alone, feeling dirty and ashamed. And I've never talked to someone who says, yeah, that was great. I am so glad no one ever told me anything. Or I am so glad that my first insight into sex was a movie I never should have seen. So, you know, it, we cannot shield our kids from this. Can't be done. We tried. Can't be done. So we've got to be proactive. We've got to go into it and be honest. Somebody made a comment, which I thought was so worthy, uh, so worthy a comment. It wasn't really a question, but I just want to pose the comment out there. They said this, People need to know that building a vibrant sexual relationship in marriage is not easy. It's hard work. When Jane and I are doing premarital counseling, we never say to the couple, Don't worry, it'll all take care of itself. It's just not true. Movies, romance, movies you should have watched and shouldn't have watched tell you something different. It's not true. It's hard work. It is much easier to attach yourself to say yes to an inanimate object, a movie, a magazine, an imagination, or a person that you don't know because there's no commitment, right? It's easier. Now, I'm just be honest here. I don't know this from experience, okay? <laughs> but I believe that it's easier to have sex and probably easy and free sex outside of the boundaries of marriage because there's no apparent attachment. There's no commitment. 
you can walk away. But the next morning, your spouse is still there. And they still look like they look and want what they want, right? So let's just not pretend like it's easy. It's not. It's hard work to be honest about things that you didn't grow up talking about. It's hard work to to talk about things and to, to experiment. It's hard work to fail in sex. It's just not fun, right? To feel like somehow, well, I don't have what it takes. But every couple at some point, and every person in every couple deals with that. It's out there. It's real. So let's not pretend like it's easy. It's not. The question is, are you willing to do the hard work? You know, there are a lot of good books on sex at Lifeway Christian Store. There are a lot of good books about how you can develop the sexual relationship. Uh, Love After Marriage, we're going to start that in January now, not in September. Sorry about that. We're starting that in January. But they talk a lot in that 12, 15-week course about the sexual relationship, how, how much it's a gift from God and what it takes to work at it. It's not easy, but it's worth it. And it's one of the ways that we protect our marriages by doing the hard work of working together with, with God's grace and help to build vibrant, fulfilling, God-honoring sexual relationships. It takes sacrifice, patience, courage, courage, and courage to do it, but it's worth it. Let's move to an easier one. Did God know that Eve was going to sin? Easy. Of course he did. He's got this little attribute we call omniscience. He knows everything. And this is a, you know, a a 42-year series I'm about to go into. I'm going to summarize it in a sentence, all right? I'm just trying to come up with that sentence right now. (laughs) God is is a God of love. It's what defines him, right? In order for love to exist, there must be choice. Love that is forced is not love. So God created the best possible world of love by giving Adam and Eve a choice between obedience and disobedience. I would have done it another way. I'm not as loving as God. And so I think he certainly knew that Eve was going to take the apple. And I think God knew, and I think there was pain in his heart knowing what was going to be, co- what was going to be caused and what it was going to cost him in the death of his son Jesus. And I think at the same time, God could have joy knowing that redemption complete and full, was coming because of the cross. This person also asked, where was Adam when this was going down? And the Bible does tell us, Genesis 3, 6, right at the end of the verse, it says, and and Eve took the apple, and then she gave it to her husband, and here's the phrase, who was with her. So we can't say, we can't blame all of our brokenness on women. Men, we symbolically were right there. And we did what men have been doing for the last 6,000 years. The temptation of the enemy, we abdicated. We walked away. When we could have said no, we said, eh, whatever. Let it be a lesson. Do some study on your own. Adam was right there. All right. You said, this is a quote from me, you said sex was given to us by God with boundaries, and you referred to illicit sex, adultery, etc. Well, people say the word boundaries a lot, but here's my question. There are many physical things that can happen before having sex, and so where are those boundaries drawn? Okay? 
This is a great question. And I'm just going to tell you, I came up with what sounds to me like, like a very simplistic answer. I still think it's a good one. Here's my answer. At the point that a part of one body is touching a sexual organ of another body, you've crossed a boundary. Okay? So let, let's not pretend like the question is really, how far can I go? I mean, I know that's the question, but I would like to rephrase the question. The question isn't how far can we go and be in God's good graces. The question is, what would it look like for us to honor these temples of the Holy Spirit that, that God gave us? What would honor look like? And sexual intimacy of any kind was given to us by God within the context of marriage. So when one part of some person's body touches a sexual organ of another person's body, you have crossed a line. What do you personally need to do so that you don't cross that line? I don't know. Brick walls come to mind. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you what Jane and I used to do. You know, sitting in the car before we were married, we used to say, okay, Jesus is right there <laughs> between us, you know. And I was usually the one that said, Jesus, look over there. I mean, it's just, it's reality. If two people come to me and they're going to, they, they're going to be married and they say, you know, we haven't struggled in this area at all. I say, I'm not sure you're marrying the right person. I, I just, I mean, we're meant to long for each other, right? If there's no longing, there's no satisfaction. What's it about? Okay? So I think the boundary is what I've said. One part of one body, sexual organ of another part. Whatever you have to do before that to make sure you don't go there. Accountability and the way you pray together and talk together, and where you, the situations you set yourself up in. Let's be honest. When you, if you have ever been to the point where we went too far before you were married, you, you, when you ask the question, how did we get there, it's, it's a stupid question. Because you can play back through, right? You know exactly how you got there. What you haven't done is said, now, what can we do not to take the step that was right before the place where we did the thing Randy said we shouldn't, right? And I'm not saying it's easy, but let me just throw this little piece out. I, Jane and I so strongly urge commitment to purity, physical purity before marriage. Even if you've been together with other people and before you came into a new relationship with Jesus or whatever, no matter the situation, we say, once you've realized it's sin, Stop it, because your ability as a man and a woman to say no to temptation to the one you love has a lot to do with your ability to say no to the temptation to the one you don't love, right? If you can say no now when you know you're going to be together in God's perfect will, you're building the, the thought patterns, the ability to say no when five years down the road all of a sudden your spouse doesn't look, act, feel, talk, think, the same, and you feel the temptation to look in other places. And so I just tell men, especially men, right now, when you stay sexually pure in your mind, with your body, and with that person you love, you are building a track record for a long-term faithful relationship. Don't miss the chance to do it now. Don't be lured down the track of the enemy's lie that, oh, well, we've gone this far, what the heck? Or, gee, we've done it so many times, you know, no. It's never like that in God's book. Every choice of obedience is a choice to build a new pattern, make a new track, give glory to Jesus, 
to, with your will, cooperating with the will of God, change what you live in. Why is pornography and masturbation such a shameful topic? And this person had an opinion, and what they said was, I don't think that we minimize or hide sexuality, struggles, pornography, masturbation, because we're deep down, we really just want to keep doing it. I think this is good insight. I don't think we hide that because we just love the feeling of shame or addiction or being controlled or feeling all alone or the emptiness that comes out of ungodly sexual or any type of temptation that we fall into, right? It's not that we love that. It's that we are so afraid we will face condemnation and shame. We're so afraid of that. We're afraid that talking to our spouse, talking to our dad or mom, talking to our roommate, talking to our parent, whatever, that we won't find unconditional love and acceptance. And let's be honest, you won't always. But if you have a choice between walking through a difficult relationship and being trapped by the enemy of your souls the rest of your life, what do you want? I'll tell you what you want. You want the little discomfort. Because the, the pain and the and the 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 pain that you cause for yourself and for others in sexual or any other addiction is, you know it, don't you? I don't have to say it. You've seen it, you've been there, you've felt the effects against yourself. We're most afraid we won't find unconditional love and acceptance from a spouse. Deep down, it's our decision when we say no to bring it out in the light, it's our decision to live in denial. And deep down underneath that, I think, is the belief I can do it on my own. Which is exactly what Eve said. God said, here's how it works, and Eve said, I can do it on my own. Every time you leave that sin in the darkness, you say no to the light of God. The more light, darkness just has to flee. I'm not saying light is comfortable. You've been asleep in a dark room for a long time. Someone comes in, bangs a pan, turns on the light. What happens? Ah! Right? It's not comfortable but it's safer in the long run to be in the light than to dwell in darkness. Page four. How can a wife pray for a husband caught in pornography addiction? Uh, I realize this was from a woman, but I just need to say pornography addiction is not a male-only thing. It's just not true, okay? So I'm going to say, how can a spouse pray for a spouse caught in pornography addiction? And even better, when they're set free, how can they pray that they won't return? And how can they help point them towards people who will support them? Easy answer, not a simple process. Pray for God's will to be done in their lives. You know the prayer that never fails? The Lord's Prayer? Your will be done. That's the prayer that never fails. You look at your spouse with compassion and, yes, some pain, and you say, God, let your will be done in their lives. You know what, you know what God's will is for their lives because I gave it to you last week, right? First Peter or something, that you abstain from sexual immorality, your sanctification, so you know the will. You say, God, do whatever you need to to bring sanctification. <coughs> Pray for the deep wounds within to be healed. Pray for their minds to be renewed, to live in truth and therefore to live out truth. Pray for the love that covers a multitude of sins. 
to become in them the love that empowers holiness. How to pray once they're out? Pray they never go back. Pray what Jesus taught us to pray. Pray for them. Lord, don't let them be led into temptation. Deliver them from evil. Best translation of the Lord's Prayer, deliver me from the evil one, the enemy, the prowling lion. You pray for deliverance over and over and over again. Communicate your love and acceptance to your spouse, not acceptance of the behavior, but unconditional love based on who they are in Christ. Not what they're doing, but who they are. And your desire to have them to be all God wants them to be, your desire to have a sexual relationship between the two of you unencumbered by fear, false intimacy, and control. When a man and a woman can come together in physical union and they can look into one another's eyes and they're the only person they see and they're unencumbered by other thoughts and other images and other experiences and God can do this, there's a purity there unmatched. God created it to be. And man or woman, without being a nag, ask them who's talking to them about purity. If ever a person has struggled with uh, sexual issues, don't ever assume it's all gone. Okay? There, I know people who've come to me and say, you know, God delivered me right away. And I say, praise God, you're the only one I've met. It doesn't mean they're not there. It's not my experience. My experience is, okay, I'm not going to say, I don't want to tell men, hey, just dwell on your sin. No, dwell on your redemption. But um, beware, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So there's always someone, a man in my life, that I'm talking to about sexual purity. Jane and I were in Cincinnati just yesterday for a wedding shower. I met with a friend of mine there. We talked 20 minutes for both of us. How are you doing? What's going on in your life? That's real. I mean, it's... That's what I got to say about that. How do we raise sons and daughters in a sex-obsessed world? Well, that's easy enough. Let me just read through my five things, because I've got to get to my seven points, and I only have 12 minutes left. (laughs) How do we raise sons and daughters in a sex-obsessed world? How do we teach them to be on the offense versus just hiding them away from all things scary? How do we prepare them? Okay, so this is in my document if you want it. I've got five things. And these are five things tested. This is what Jane and I did. It's not perfect, but here you go. Number one, do whatever you can to create an atmosphere in your home of unconditional love and acceptance, including deal with your stuff. If you came out of an angry, controlling, abusive, whatever relationship, you know, growing up, deal with it. Go to a counselor. Go to the Lord. Work on it. Do whatever it takes to be free so that you can create in your family an atmosphere of unconditional love and acceptance. You can only get that from God. So you've got to get it from him to give it. But I tell you, the fruit of, a, of an atmosphere of unconditional love and acceptance is you'll hear a lot. But these are the things you want to hear. Two, love your children enough to let them experience the consequences of their sins and disobedience when they're young, but with compassion. That is, grieve with them at their sin and its consequences. 
Let love, not anger, rule. And all I'm saying here is kids have to feel the consequences of their sin. This is not about corporal punishment. That's not what I'm talking about. It's another issue. When children make bad choices at age 2, 3, 4, 15, 30, they need to recognize there are consequences. If we take the consequences away or impose consequences that are you know, way past what the, the sin requires, we're doing God's job. Let the consequences be. Love them enough to fail, to let them fail, and to feel the effects, the grief of their sin. But enter the grief with them. You want great information on this? Danny Silk's, um, all Danny Silk, what's the name of the thing? Keeping Your Love On or the children's one? Loving Your Kids on Purpose. Great material on how to build this atmosphere with your kids. Number three, be a safe person for them to talk about anything. Who else had a parent that said, you can tell me anything, and then you told them, and then you got in trouble? You're like, how's this work? Why would I ever want to tell you? Okay, grace, truth, they got to go together. But be the person that your kids can talk to. You will hear things you don't want to hear. Tough. Better than you hear it than their friend at school or their sibling or the kid down the block. Four, prepare them with truth as appropriate to their age and circumstances. We talked about that before. And five, do not let fear lead you as a parent. Do not let fear lead you as a parent. You can unpack that any way you want. Fear is looming and waiting and wants to lead you around. And the scripture says that anything that's not of faith is sin. Fear is not of faith. So don't let it lead you. That means a lot of trust in God. Okay. Let's go to my seven points. You want to, you want to like, we got 10 more minutes. You want to stand up, take a stretch or something? Go ahead, stand up, take a stretch. Stand up. Yeah, loosen up a little bit. I know, not a normal vineyard thing. All right, loosen up. You, I'll go, yeah. Okay, you can have a seat. Little did you know that this is our one service, and they're all coming in, and we're just going to keep going. On the paper that you have that was handed out, I've got breaking free from sexual sin and its, and its effects in your life. Okay, I got seven points. This is not the end all. This doesn't fix everything, right? What I want to tell you is this. These seven things, I didn't read them in a book. They came to me. I thought, Lord, how has this worked out in my life? How have I seen this through my experience in the Vineyard Movement for the last 20 years? What's it look like? And God loves me best, so he gave me all the R's, right? <laughs> but, but here's the thing. I'm not saying these are steps you go through and then you're done. That's not my point, all right? My desire here as I go through these seven points is that the Holy Spirit touches you on one point. Oh, I've never thought of that. I need to investigate that. I want to know more. So if you're dealing with sexual sin or the, the effects of sexual sin on you right now, in 12 minutes, I'm not saying it'll all be gone. It's not one, two, three. But I think there's truth here that if you walk into, has an incredible opportunity for healing for every single one of us. So let me jump in. Breaking free from sexual sin and its effects in your life. Number one, remember who and whose you are. John 8.32, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Remember as a believer who you belong to. You belong to God. He created you. 
He redeemed you. He has a purpose in your life for holiness. His desire is that you live out a holy life. Remember you belong to God. Remember that you're redeemed. When you fall into sin, don't let the enemy come in and continually attack you with how bad you are. You did a bad thing. It doesn't make you evil. It means you said yes to evil. But you've got to dwell on who you are, a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old things, that means I'm going to sin over and over and over again, they've passed away. Behold, new things, that means I have a desire for and ability to choose holiness. All things have become new. Romans 12.2, this is a part of renewing your mind. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Paul says, so you can prove what the will of God is, the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. So remember who you are in Christ. Remember whose you are. If you don't start with identity and just try to combat sexual sin with your brain, I I think you'll lose. You're a new creation. And, you, and living that out is a part of the, it's, it's maturation in the Christian life. Remember who and whose you are. Second, recognize what you're really looking for. I, I can't speak as much for women, but I, I think it's a universal truth. I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of men about sexual temptation, pornography, masturbation, all that stuff. Hundreds and hundreds of men through the years. And I have not yet found one who, when they really got down to it, said, when it comes to, to temptation and sex, I, it's just the sex I want. It's, it's not true. I'm not saying there isn't a desire for it. That's true. But if someone's caught in addiction that causes them multiple times a day to be lured in for hours of what you're looking and what you're thinking and what you're doing, that's not for the physical pleasure and release. Let's just be honest about it. Men can still struggle with sin when, if they were given the opportunity to be with a woman, they couldn't do it physically. So that tells me it's not about the pleasure. It's something deeper. So the big question is, what are you looking for? I ask men that all the time. What are you looking for? Are you looking for intimacy? Are you looking for control? Are you looking for acceptance? What are you looking for? And this takes time. This isn't just a like, hmm, what am I looking for? No, you've got to sit with a brother. You've got to sit with someone and say, I, I don't know why I go here. This will sound strange, but when men come in and talk to me about I'm dealing with, with pornography, I ask them a real uncomfortable question. I say, what are you looking at? Like, don't give me the websites. I don't want to hear that. But what are you looking at? Because what you're looking at gives you some clue to what you're looking for. What are you looking for? It's, we're not just looking for sex. There's something else. There's a hole in our soul. We're trying to fill it up with something. And the enemy just loves to say, sex, this one will work. And he destroys lives by it. So what are you looking for? Intimacy, control, acceptance, escape. I mean, there are a hundred options there. And if you ask the Lord that question with a, with a heart's desire to know, I think the Lord will speak to you. And when you know what you're looking for, then when the temptation comes, you can begin to say, wait a minute, I want to do the thing I don't want to do. And I don't really want that thing, what do I want? And when you find out, wow, what I really want is acceptance, then all of a sudden you know what you're looking for, you have a better place to look. Because you know at the end of that, that's not acceptance, that's shame, right? 
enough about that. Know what you're looking for. Recognize what you're looking for. Three, when you're caught in the sin, when you do it, or when you realize you're doing it over and over and over again, whatever the sexual sin is, repent of the sin and break the power of it. We cannot miss this part. We can't just think ourselves in to a new way of living. We really have to act our way in to a new way of thinking. It's, I mean, we've we got to take the action. Repentance is a gift. Repentance isn't a, isn't a curse. Isaiah thirty fifteen, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Repentance is a gift. So when you find yourself having sinned or caught in the, in, the, in the grips of it, repent. It just means this. God, I did it again. I don't want to do it again. I, these are the words I use and the words I encourage others to use. Literally, I repent of the sin of fill in the blank. I didn't want to do it, but I did. And I renounce that sin. I break the power of that sin in my life. You know, every time you step into sin, you give the devil a little bit more space in your heart. So you've got to claim that space back after you've done it. God doesn't look at you differently as if, oh, you sinned, you're out. We've got to go through the whole salvation thing again. It's not like that. You're forgiven. But when you say, I repent, I turn, and I break the power of that sin over me in the name of Jesus, we're realigning ourselves with the truth. Who I am, whose I am, what I'm looking for, how I'm going to get it. Repentance is a gift. If you're repenting every day, praise God. Break the power of it. So I gave a couple examples there. Um, I mean, these aren't the exact words, and Jacqueline probably has much better words, but this is what I came up with. Literally, Lord, I've been unfaithful to you and dishonored you with my body by whatever it is you did. I repent of this sin. In the name of Jesus, I break any spiritual tie made with this spirit of pornography or this person I was with through our physical relationship. I release them and any foothold this sin has had in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for breaking this tie and ushering me into freedom. What this means is some of us have not recognized that our past sexual relationships carry into our present sexual lives. It's, it's reality. It's not fun to think back on what you've done. It's certainly not fun to say it in front of your spouse or another human. But there's this, um, the Bible just makes it clear when you are sexually united with a person, you become one spirit with them. You take in something of them. I don't know how this works spiritually, but it's what the Bible says. You become one. And so I, I've seen great impact in people's lives by simply going through the hard, painful process of with a counselor and another person just repenting through the name of every person that you were with. Gosh, that's hard. I, I just break the spiritual tie I made with this person by this act. I break it, and you release them into their freedom. And, and, and somehow, in God's mystical ways, we are breaking the spiritual tie made through that physical union. God created it that way. So let's just live according to how he created it. Here's the great news. You can be fully redeemed. Like you, you, you do not have to carry around the junk of those other people, one, two, fifty that you were with before you were married. If you've been sinned against sexually, and I just can't express how hard 
it is to deal with this, how hard to talk about it, how hard to, to, I just can't express it. Honestly, because I don't know it personally, but I've seen the effects. I do know that we need to forgive, and so I've given you an example. I forgive, fill in the blank, for what they did to me. I release any debt I've been holding against them, and I thank you, Jesus, that you've paid for the result of this sin committed against me, that you are redeeming me, and I extend to this person forgiveness as you, Lord, have forgiven me. Do that with a counselor. Do that with a friend. But, and, and, you know, you might do it once and have to do it 50 more times. But every time you extend forgiveness, you invite the grace of God into your life. I mean, there's so much power. Number four, renounce any demonic foothold that, uh, that was given by your sin or the sin against you. Sin is of the enemy. When sin is there, the enemy is there. When we invite sin into our lives, in some way we invite the enemy into our lives. I don't want you searching for demons around every bush outside your house or every trinket in your house. That's not my point. But to ignore the spiritual reality of the demonic world around us is just pure foolishness. When you invite sin into your life, you invite the author of sin. That's the bad guy. So we have a, we have a way to go at this. We just renounce it. God, I renounce the sin of lust. I renounce the sin of masturbation. I renounce the sin of adultery or of whatever the thing might be. You break the power of it, you renounce it. You're saying, you're saying to the enemy without talking to him, I don't want any more of you. And you once again, it's just all about alignment. You're, you're saying no to what you know you don't want and you're saying yes again to God. Renounce any demonic foothold. I've seen people have uh, tremendous power in, their, in walking out their holiness simply by renouncing a demonic stronghold that was in their life. They didn't even know it was there. You know, they come up, oh, I've been doing this since I was 12 years old, you know. And when they recognize it and repent and renounce the power of it, there's something breaks. That's how God works. Jacqueline has a story like this every week just working through people's issues and just spiritually breaking the power of those things. We're spiritual beings. We're holed up in a body right now, but in essence, we're spiritual beings. So we've got spiritual ramifications and spiritual solutions to life. Five, reject shame and condemnation. I think I've probably spoken enough about that one in this church in the last eight or ten or years, so I won't spend a lot of time. Romans 8.1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is this feeling of, I am bad. Conviction is this feeling of, I've done bad. Conviction is fine. It leads us to repentance, which is a gift, right? Conviction, I feel bad because of what I did. God's right there in that, just waiting for you to repent and come back. Condemnation, I am bad. It's not God. It's just the straight scripture. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whatever you did, are you in Christ? Is Christ in you? There's no condemnation. All the feelings, all the thoughts, they're not from God. They're from the other guy. It takes a while to learn how to say no to those. Because to people who are caught in sin, self-pity is such a an easy thing to slip into. Run from it. 
reject shame and condemnation. Six, renew your mind. Um, all these verses are about renewing your mind. You have the mind of Christ. First Corinthians 10.5, it says, We take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. I love that verse. In this area of temptation, that, this is, that's my verse. Like Every thought, I take it captive. I like war movies, right? So I, every day when I'm praying, every day when I go out into the world, I imagine I'm a warrior. And there are going to be thoughts out there that are going to have to be taken captive and made obedient to Jesus. This is not just about sexual sin. For you, this might be Twinkies for you. This, this, this might be gossip for you. This might be self-pity for you. It might be whatever. But 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 3 to 5, it says, we, our, our weapons are spiritual weapons. Our warfare is heavenly warfare. It happens right here. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus. That means scriptures, and that means talking to people who will tell you who you are. There's a lot about renewal of the mind. It's not a, we're not doing a sermon on how to do it, but you've got to learn it. And finally, rejoice in every victory. Don't do all of the hard work of getting free and then just live in fear of failing. That's no fun. Rejoice in every victory. I was working on this message. I was back at that computer. It was Thursday afternoon, sometime in the afternoon, and I got a text from someone I know. And, and, and this person's accountable to me in this area of sexual temptation. And the, and the text the text said basically, I'm, I'm, a, I'm about to go into a place I shouldn't go into. I changed my mind. I turned around, and I just wanted to let you know. And I texted back as fast as I possibly could with more exclamation points than I usually use in a text. <laughs> awesome, you did it, way to go. And for the next 10 minutes, we kind of just texted back and forth as he found his way to a safer place. That's rejoice, right? I mean, if... If a thousand times he made a bad choice, but once he makes the good choice, what do I want to affirm? The good choice. You did it. It's victory. It's victory. So accountability partners, husbands, wives, whatever your relationship, however you work this out, you know, share the victories. If all you ever talk about when it comes to, to sin and temptation is, I failed, I failed, I failed, you'll never want to talk about it. You've got to be willing to say, I was tempted. That's not sin but I was victorious. And then you look at the victory and like a, you know, like a general, wow, how did we do that? Let's do that again. Well, what, what, what happened? Was there a scripture? Was it a thought? Did I, what action did I take? Who did I call? How did it work? Because we can be victorious. Let's stand. I appreciate your extra time this morning. I remind you I've got uh, four pages. Um, there's a lot more to talk about this and I think in the next couple of months after we go through some things in the fall we'll come back to the issue and may even do I don't know what we'll do uh, we got it we got to deal with this as a people we got to deal with this so Jeff you want to come up and lead our ministry time father I just ask in the name of Jesus that you would release grace and truth upon us there's no condemnation for those here in Christ Jesus Jesus make the truth known you said in John 8, if for those who the Son sets free, we are free indeed. God, make it so in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.